Welcome to Teaching Transformations, Designing Your Post-Career Life with Tim Desmond and Ryan Woolley. Do you, do you still lease your cars? I'm in a weird place. I have one lease that is up uh, in a month and we bought out a lease, which I almost never do uh, because it's just not a good practice, but like the circumstances are right. So, so technically I have one car that I own and I'm looking at an invoice from Foundation Honda, which it needs about a thousand dollars worth of work, which I'm really excited about. Yep. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> I've never leased, and I, and it's just something I, I could never get my mind around. But I'm I'm starting to appreciate the um, uh, you know the beauty of of a lease, um, just because like I can't escape the car work. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, my car. I have I still have a year to pay off my car, and I didn't buy it brand new. But um, but. I'm looking at like if I if I were to go pay a mechanic to do the work that needs done on my car right now, it would be, it would be like, uh, fifteen hundred dollars or or more just for like struts and 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 stuff like that. So, um, and I just can't. I'm like I can't justify that, that money. So that means like I'm talking about like chewing that out of what little weekend I have, you know, when whenever I can get to it. So. I feel your pain, man. And, and here's here's the realization I came to. I, I'm in a little different spot with you in that, in that I'm I'm looking and I'm like, no joke, he, here's the invoice. It's literally <laughs> sitting on my desk. And I'm like, okay, this is gonna cost me $1,000. It's uh, rear brake uh, rotors and pads. It's uh, transmission fluid uh, flush, brake uh, differential fluid flush, um, you know, all, all the stuff that goes. And I'm thinking like, how many hours do I need to give up to save that thousand bucks? Yeah. And then I'm, and I'm saying, okay, what do I charge clients per hour? Right. Or what if I took an editing job and broke it down by hour? And like now it's a no brainer. Like I, because I can make more money. I can't make more time. Yeah. So I'm kind of in a place now where I'm like, unless it's outlandish, I'm going to pay someone to do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm slowly getting to that place, but um, but it's difficult because I also don't have like clients. I don't have right. like something that's sitting there that I can. Yeah, you're you know, salaried, so you so you you have a a, a yeah. built-in budget for lack of a better term, right? Right. Yeah, I yeah. I get it. Yeah. And and I it, I hate the idea of of paying somebody else to do something I can do. It's just like <laughs> it's I just hate it. I can't. I, you I've know, gotten I, over it. I, 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 I not completely. I, there's still things I do that I should not be doing. Uh, like cutting the grass is another great example. Do you cut your own grass? Yes. How long does it take you? Uh, 30 minutes. Okay. What about like total like trim, cleanup, everything like 30 minutes? Uh, you know, if we do like the edging and stuff that might yeah. add a little more and it's yeah. not always me, like p various people in the house contribute to that right. chore. Right. So a, a few years ago, we had one of those uh, landscapers drop a leaflet inside of our door and it's $23 a cut. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Boom. why would I not pay someone $23? Right. Like, I mean, I, yeah. I'm clearly, I know how to cut grass, but, but like it, for me, it's about an hour and I'm like, yeah. is it, is it worth it? It's like, it's not worth an hour, you know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, a couple years ago, we had a problem with Christina's car, the air conditioner, and and I knew the part that was problematic was buried 
way down under the dash. Like I remember the, this at repair. the firewall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I I took out the steering wheel, the dash, like all that stuff to get down to the firewall and replace that part, and then put it all back in <laughs> to save like twenty five hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I I don't I can't I'm not I don't I wouldn't even say I regret that. Like I also kind of like learning. It's just man that took like easily four or five days. I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I think I I was raised very much like you were, I think. Like my my dad did everything on his cars. Like he did he didn't take it to a shop for anything. And because I was the oldest, anytime brake pads needed changed or struts needed replaced, like I was under the car with them. Mm-hmm. And and I hated that. I despised <laughs> it. And, and I started doing it as an adult. And I, I promised myself I was not going to make my son <laughs> help me with the car. Yeah. But then, then I get to, but then I think too, in fairness, you know, cars have gotten way more complex than they were 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, and it's, I, I feel like there's very few things you can work on yourself now without having some sort of technical know-how when it comes to like the the compute onboard computer system or the car's electronics or yeah. you know stuff I don't know how you manage that cuz that stuff yeah. scares me. Yep. Well, even like this little strut job like I I really need a spring compressor so like I don't have one so I'm going to take these struts off the car which takes a while just in and of itself. I'm going to take the new struts over to a, a shop, they're going to disassemble the old ones because you have to have a s- special tool to do that. They're going to reassemble my new ones, give them to me, and then I'm going to go back to my house and put <laughs> oh, them on. Oh, man. <laughs> Good luck with that, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Well, um, I'm excited about today's topic. Um, I, uh, I want to talk about this new thing that everybody's talking about called the Internet. The Internet. I think I've heard of that. Yeah, I I just I want to go on record right now to say that I think it's I think this is here to stay. I think it's really going to change so? the world. Yeah. Okay. Well, what is it? Tell me about it. <laughs> uh, I think it was you know during our one of our conversations about um, generational stuff, um, where we were thinking about like all those the the different characteristics, the different shared experiences that. Um, you know, each generation can, can look to. And, um, that's when it dawned on me. I mean, that's a pretty big one that our generation has really gotten to witness from beginning to end, because we know what it was like before there was an internet or, you know, even a PC revolution. We know, we know how the world changed after that, and we've seen it go through these phases. So, you know, um, that's a, I, it's, we just have a, a unique vantage point on this whole process and, and, uh, and I think it has changed and I think it's going to be changing. And I just kind of wanted to dig into that a little bit. Like, you know, what first, I, I also want us to kind of get into some of our personal experiences and go back down memory lane and, and think about like, you know, what it was like the first time we had, uh, some awareness of, of, what that what the internet was or even before that like you know your first experience with a computer um so can you think back like what what are your early like tech memories because you became kind of a techie type yeah i did i i think i inherited that characteristic from my grandfather who loved gadgets he was a gadgets guy and this is certainly pre pre pre-internet pre-computer but 
he always had like the newest VCR and he always had these, these different watches and, you know, he had a watch calculator. I remember as a kid, I thought that was the most amazing thing in the world. Like I'd climb on his lap and he would look at the time and there'd be a calculator on his watch. I'm like, that's crazy. So yeah, I, I think I've had that inclination and you're right, man. Like I, it's, it's crazy to think that like we grew up without the internet and like, that's so obvious on the surface, but I think that's as fundamentally, uh, it's 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 as fundamentally striking as the difference between growing up with or without electricity. Mm-hmm. Like I really think it is that like that drastic, right? Yep. And I can remember, uh, like I had we had computer game consoles, and it wasn't until I was in high school when I first got introduced to PCs. We had a we had a typing class in high school on typewriters, but we also had a computer lab. And they were not networked. They might have been Apple IIEs. I don't even remember what they were. But we were being taught basic uh, coding. And I don't even remember what it was. Um, you know, but it was really basic stuff. And it wasn't until I was um, getting into college where you had sort of the PC revolution. Then you're getting into things like you know the earliest Windows machines and Macintosh and word processors and that kind of stuff. And I can remember in college going to the quote-unquote computer lab to type up my history papers. I remember going to the, the computer lab in the, in the student union at the University of Pittsburgh to type up my op-ed pieces for the Pitt News. And it wasn't until I was in starting graduate school when the internet started. And it started with the, the America Online Discs and the mm-hmm. CompuServe and those sort of walled communities uh, and I remember a classmate of mine and I, we were, we went home, I, this was at Duquesne and we were both, I don't know, it was like telnetting. I don't even know what it was, but we were both on our own PCs and we had a, a very early modem connected and we were chatting back and forth. And I remember I vividly, I can still picture being in that chair and just being blown away. Like I was seeing his words come up on my computer screen. That was, that was just, I, I mean, it blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah, it was so simple back then. This the stuff that wowed us. Um, yeah, think about like if we could have predicted like oh twenty, twenty five or thirty years from now, like we'll be where we are now. Like I don't think any of us could would have predicted the drastic level of change that we've seen. No, I mean it's it, it it's been nuts. Like I I remember in the early nineties on one of my first PCs, it came with um, Microsoft Encarta. Mm-hmm. And it came on discs. And I, I remember that was the first time I watched a video on my computer, which, which, which again was mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. It was a postage stamp size 10-second video of, of the moon launch. Yep, I remember that. Remember that? Yes. Like, and, and, I, and, it, and I didn't have audio because I had no sound card. So I, I could just see the video on yeah. the screen. And I remember, again, being blown away by that. And yeah. It just seems so rudimentary now. Yeah, because you were like, this this is supposed to happen on a TV. Like yes. that's where the, the that happens. Right. Not not where I type up my papers <laughs> or I work in spreadsheets. I'm like, I'm watching a video on my computer. Yeah. Yeah. Did, I mean, what, did, what were your first memories? Um, mine's pretty early. Um, I was in, I would say, uh, probably fifth grade, maybe fourth, fourth or fifth grade. I think um, our library had a couple of Apple IIEs in, um, they had, wasn't it called the Oregon Trail? They had yes. like that, like, this is when the screens were like green, like the, all the typing, yep. the writing black, was green. Black yep. and, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was a, um, 
a reward for like something, you know, it was like, if you get X work done, like you can go to the computer lab and play this game. And like, I was all over it. I, yeah. I, and, and then I just loved being there. So I kept doing that. Um, and then I, I didn't, you know, that was kind of it for a while. I, I didn't really pay attention to technology. I was, you know, I was really big into my English classes and, um, in history classes. Like I, I wasn't a techie type by any stretch. Um, and that didn't come back to me. Well, it started with, I couldn't handwrite, like handwriting was always painful to me. Mm. So my parents invested in one of those word processors, uh, like the brother, like, you, you oh, know, with yeah. the little screen. So, so that's kind of where it started. And then when the PC revolution came, um, you know, I was a good, really good typist by that time. So like, I, I just, like I needed one just to get through school. And, uh, but I became really enamored with like the fact that you could like throw little clip art and, and you could like a, onto your papers and you could like adjust the fonts, uh, styles and stuff oh, like yeah. that. Like I just, I felt so empowered by that. I was like, Oh, I'm like my own little publisher here. And, you know, so that's kind of where it started. Um, and, and I built my own PC, um, which is a thing that's coming back. I don't know if you, if, if anybody in your house is, is into that, but like my son is really yeah. into the build your own PC thing right now. Gamers are big on that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's been kind of rekindling some memories and stuff. Um, uh, but man, I had, I had no business getting into technology, like, <laughs> In, like once I got into education, I mean, I just, uh, I was an English teacher one year and then this, this, uh, tech coordinator position came open and I liked going to the computer lab and I, I was learning there and I, you know, but like I wasn't even using email at the time. And, mm. um, when I applied for this job, but somehow, somehow I got it, uh, at this, uh, school district I worked at. And you then, weren't using email in college? Uh, No. Wow, I, that's where I, that's where I first sent email. I, I remember junior year. Yeah. yeah. Well, you went through college before me, so like. Uh, yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, so, um, you, I'm sure you did. You use Netscape Navigator in the early oh, yeah. days of the internet. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I still remember like the sound of that modem, you know, yes. and stuff like that. Anytime you wanted to go on, like that. I, I don't even know how to describe that weird like phone sound. Yeah. The beeping and yeah. Yeah. The kids can Google it if they want yep, to hear it. That's right. It's out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so, you know, these, we didn't, I don't know that back then we would have predicted that there would be like really distinct phases of the internet. But, you know, now that we're this far along, they've, they've started to sort of break it into, um, into time periods and, so, uh, you know, web 2.0, obviously, um, before that it was just the web or the internet. And, and then once you describe something as 2.0, now you have to go backward and call the original 1.0 and it implies that there's a 3.0 coming. So I want to get Which, into that. And, and Al Gore yeah. had this all mapped out. Right? Uh, oh yeah. He, I think he had an outline that, <laughs> <laughs> that timed all this. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so like what you already, you know, talked about like those early encyclopedias that were on disc and then that kind of more or less translated to the early web. Um, it was kind of similar, you know, there's content there, you search it, you go grab it 
and that's kind of it. It was like a sort of a one-way street, right, in the early days. I think that's accurate. I mean, there's there's a bit of a transitional period of what I would call the, you know, bulletin board forums that maybe bridged the 1.0 to 2.0. But yeah, I think you're right. Early on, it was it was very static. It was very one-way. Um, you had to go looking for things that you wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd say that's accurate. Yeah. It was like the co- big companies would be like, we, we've put content here and you can search it and, and look at it. Um, and so Web 2.0... Um, you know, there's no like date that that started, but I, I think it's, I would, I put it around 2004. I think that's when most people agree that, that web 2.0 really came into its own. I think that the term was coined in 1999 at a conference, if I remember right. Um, but you know, 2004, and there was a lot of change happening around, uh, 2004, 2005. I, I, I think that's kind of when smartphones were really taking off too. Is that, Blackberry, does that sound for right? Sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so I want to talk a little bit about like what what is Web 2.0? What was it? And like what it, what are our takeaways from 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 its characteristics? Like what does it matter? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the 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 chart that you put together for me for this it, it does a really good job of breaking that down. I, I think the the biggest distinction between 1.0 and 2.0 is is social. Mm-hmm. Like that's that that by far I think is is the biggest difference. It uh, 2.0 became the beginning of communities, and those communities could have been built around walled gardens like like MySpace or Friendster or what would become Facebook, but they were also built through blogging um, and early podcasting. Those were also ways that. Uh, that people were able to connect and and sort of find other people with the same passions and interests that that they had, and so it was much more about um, it was much more community oriented than Web 1.0. Yeah, and I, I remember books of that time uh, that were sort of describing like what characterizes Web 2.0. The three things that were always mentioned were podcasts, uh, blogs, and wikis, right? Yeah. Oh, wikis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh And the idea of of wiki is it's it's information that um, is not sort of owned and managed by one person. It's like communally sort of tended to. Right. So that's like the that's that's how Wikipedia works. Anybody can. Right. Go contribute and and edit those pages. Um, Which is funny because I forbid my students to use it in oh, 2004 geez. and i think by 2014 i w- that's where i was telling them to go first oh yeah there's studies on this there I, it drives me crazy because my my uh children's teachers uh still forbid them to use wikipedia as a, really? as a source and i'm like there's been tons of studies that show like it's one of the most accurate sources of information out there yeah and, and all kinds of more formal sources are are full of flaws like you know, it's not perfect, and and you you have to know how to use that information. But I can't believe people aren't are are still sort of saying like, uh, yeah, this is not a trusted source of information. It I might mean. be the only trusted source of information <laughs> these days. There's so many there, there's so many checks and balances on that. It, it, it literally might be the only reliable source. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's checked, right? I mean, there there have been times when like. 
30 seconds after something happens, like I bet you, so, you know, we just watched the national championship, uh, the other, uh, other night for, uh, basketball and, um, you know, within, within 30 seconds, I guarantee that was on, on Wikipedia somewhere. Oh yeah. 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 Whenever uh, like a, a celebrity dies, uh, you know, it's updated almost immediately. And, and because there are so many people with author access, you get people who really care about stuff, who care about the veracity of the information. They care about the quality of the information. And so even if you're a saboteur and you go in there and you, you feel like you're going you're gonna to mess things up, like it gets corrected almost immediately. Mm -hmm. um, what, what's been your relationship to the social part of social media? Absolutely hate it. Really? <laughs> you don't tweet? I hate, I do. Uh, I have, all right. Um, I, I don't, th this could almost be its own episode because I really despise social media. I always have. Hmm. Um, it's always felt sort of fake and posturing to me, even from the early days. Uh, in fact, I, ne I don't have any social media accounts for myself. Hmm. Zero. I have, um, I have created accounts for Jay Thorne and for my business, but personally I have, I have no social media accounts. Um, and the only one that I really do, I, I, I have a VA who does uh, Pinterest for me for Jay Thorne. And then I, also, I have a Jay Thorne Twitter account and I do tweet, but I, really all I'm doing is I'm, I'm tweeting out like podcast episodes and, and, and I, I spend about three minutes a day on it. I, I don't really engage. I don't really interact. I don't like follow people and comment on threads. Uh, just the, the whole the whole thing. I mean, it's it's like I said, it's a bigger conversation. But um, I, I just really never got into social media, and uh, it doesn't matter if it's TikTok or Instagram. Um, I'm just not into it. Do I you don't, use it? Uh, no, but I, I I just assumed heading into this conversation that that you did that a lot, and that I I was going to be the one that said no. I I really don't use it. I don't know why I thought you did. No, I think we're going to struggle building this audience because neither of us are active, naturally active on social media. Yeah. Uh, and so we're going to have to come up with more clever ways because I can't do something that's, that's, that I don't believe in. Like, mm -hmm. I, and I've tried, I've tried so many times. I mean, yeah. you can imagine after, you know, starting, you know, publishing in over, over 10 years ago, many, many times over the years, I've dipped in and out of Facebook. I've dipped in and out of Instagram. I've been active and non-active on Twitter it's just it's a it's not an enjoyable experience for me at all mm -hmm. yeah i don't know if it would be enjoyable to me or not uh i'm i am inter I, I like to hear what other people have to say sometimes i mean sometimes it's just noise and like I, that's i think that's part of my problem with social media is it just feels like a lot of noise like a lot of sort of underthought um uh, uh articulations but i um I think a bigger reason for me, um, and I, don't, I still don't think that I've, I've really um, processed this or, or acclimated to it, but, um, you know, I live in my head. I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert. I think a lot. And if I have anything to offer the world, it's my unique thoughts. You know, like, that's really all I got. And I, I don't, one thing I don't like about um, the, the social media revolution is it just opened the doors for blatant sort of copy and paste and, and copying and, you know, 
And I'm like, so like for me, I always wanted to hold on to my ideas because I'm like, if I start blogging or tweeting or whatever, my thoughts, like they're not mine anymore. And somebody's just, I mean, I see it all the, even as sort of careful and protective as I've been and as inactive as I've been on social media, I've still seen it. I, I, I've seen, I've seen people use like graphics that I've made that are really unique and I'm, I'm not going to name names, but like, you know, use them in a presentation and I know they've completely forgotten where they got them. Yeah. You know, they, they don't give me credit. They're not, um, I'm sorry, man. I should have mentioned you. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean though? Like that's and and I don't think, I don't think that's solving itself anytime soon. And, no, you, you almost have to, you almost have to swallow that as a cost of doing business. I get it. Like, you know, and, and in the publishing industry, like I've worked hard over the past, especially the past five years to kind of to carve out a space for myself where I'm, I think, saying things that maybe other people aren't saying or I'm bringing perspectives that other people don't. And then I hear those reflected back to me in, in podcasts that I'm in, like, I'm in a certain circle of podcasts and then I'll listen to those and I hear some of the things I say come back to me in my own words. And I'm not saying those people are intentionally mm -hmm. ripping that off, but like I know they've heard it and processed it and now it's become part of their lexicon. So I, I just like, I don't know, there's nothing you can do about that. And like, I'm in a position where I feel like, well, I, I have to put, I have to put myself out there. I have to put my thoughts out there. And if I do that enough and I, and if I stay in it long enough, I'll persist, whereas the copiers and the, the copycats and the replicators won't. Yeah, I think that's true. I I think there's still part of me that wants to put things down in into a book, you know. But yeah. but the problem I have is I I don't I don't find the time to write books, and I probably could find the time to to do blog posts, but that's where I'm just I'm too cautious, you know. Like I, I'm like, well, once I put these unique thoughts out there, like people are just going to recycle and reuse them and then they won't be unique anymore. So I feel like I'm still waiting for the, <laughs> you know, to find the time to put it in book form. Cause at least then I have my name on it. And you know, if, if you copy it at that point, um, yeah, I, I, I get it. I, I think your, your fears might be a little unfounded. I'll give you an example. You know, Seth Godin is is one of my personal heroes. I, I I love the guy. You know, he's been he's been blogging every day for over a decade. He his stuff gets ripped off all the time. I, mm -hmm. I see Seth Godin stuff everywhere. But like he he has created a place for himself. He he has a brand, he has products, he has services, he has books. No one's ever confusing Seth Godin with anybody else. Again, I think it's this idea of like yeah, you know, he might have unique ideas and then other people take take those, but unless you're him, they cumulatively they don't add up to anything. Mm -hmm. You know, like if right. someone's taking your ideas, you know, okay, maybe they can parrot what you're saying. That doesn't mean they can go and create a workshop like Ryan Woolley could or they you know what I mean? Or they can't mm -hmm. write a book like you like you would. Yeah. So I don't I don't think that the fear is as great as you think it might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but to get to that place, you have to really be tending to that audience. You know, like once you're Seth Godin, like, yeah, you probably, you really don't need to worry about it anymore. But I, I'm no, just saying, like, when you're trying to get to that place, when right. you're sort of climbing that hill, but I, I know it's unfounded. I, it's just. Oh, and that's where you and I are right now. I mean, what I did with Jay Thorne really has no relevance to, to what we're doing with teaching transformations. And I, I'm sure we're going to, you know, we're talking about things that, 
in unique ways. And I would not be surprised if we, we start hearing some of that in other places. But like, we're just going to keep yeah. showing up week after week, and and we're going to keep writing the the Sunday newsletters, and we're gonna we're just going to keep like it's a war of attrition, I guess is the way mm-hmm. I'm looking at it. Yeah. And and you have to care enough to do that. Even even the borrowing that happens. I mean, you know, you most people are just consuming that, and and that's their relationship to it. And and um, to sort of go from that to sort of being uh, building your own audience and, and sharing your own thoughts, you know, um, that's a very deliberate step. And if you're making if you're going through the trouble of making that step, then you you probably do have a lot of your own. You know, you're not really just copying a bunch of what everybody else is talking about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, So there's, you know, this term Web 3.0 has been being talked about for quite a while. I think I even I did a couple presentations when I first took this job back in 2008, 2009. And there were already signals back then about what Web 3.0 was going to look like. But that that really picked up steam, I would say, more like uh, 2012, 2014 is sort of when I a lot of people were starting to talk about Web 3.0. And I would say it reached the tip of the hype cycle, probably 2015 is what I'm I'm just like ballparking these, but um, where everybody was talking about Web 3.0. And they kept using this term, uh, the semantic web. Um, are, were you like aware of that? Like, were you following? No, not at all. That conversation this is, this is fascinating to me because I was not in those conversations. Mm-hmm. Well, so and it's it's too complex to get into. And you know, this this we can't. First of all, I'd be completely unqualified to turn this into a primer about Web 3.0. There are a lot of articles out there. Um, about it and and I've read some of them and it's it's interesting but it's 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 a little bit complex and detailed um but I think the big takeaway is um what the semantic web is is a web of meaning it's a it's more of a web of nuance and um the idea was that it uses this information it has to make sense of what you're trying to accomplish and it and it makes it sort of makes smart decisions based on what it sees um I'm I'm sure I'm butchering this explanation, but like, you know, so if it sees you um, searching uh, for uh, travel information and it knows that you've looked for certain things like, you know, maybe in the past you've uh, looked for um, travel uh, accommodations that uh, offer pet lodging or something like that, you know, it sees that it starts to help like it knows that about you and starts to like steer the results around what it knows about you. Um, I'm grossly oversimplifying this, but like it just becomes a smarter web basically. Well, I mean, you're talking about AI, right? I mean, isn't Mm -hmm. that sort of at the core of this? Yeah. And, and some of this has happened. I mean, we've all seen like the advertisements that are really directed. Like I, I talked earlier about this, the, the strut job I'm about to do. So I've been searching struts and like it takes about two minutes before any web page I go to like has advertisements for, <laughs> for struts. Yep. So, so, so some of it's come to pass, but not to the level they expected. In fact, 
Um, and I, I was kind of surprised by this because I, I actually was sort of paying attention to this like five years ago. And then I just really, uh, you know, was like, oh, I read a few articles and then I just kind of dropped it. But um, it really has not come to pass the way that anyone expected. Um, and there's some really interesting articles about out there about about why that's the case. Um, uh, you know, uh, let me see here. I'm trying to find the one. There's one here that. Sorry. Well, there, there's one that I like a lot is, um, you know, this article by uh, Charles Silver of Forbes Technology Council, um, where, uh, you know, he talks about the, the disillusionment of Web 3.0 and how, you know, it was all the rage five years ago, but it really hasn't come to pass and it doesn't look like it's going to. And part of the problem is because we overhyped the possibilities and we, um, we underestimated what nuance and context, what it requires to sort of deal with nuance and context. Um, it's a very human thing. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to imagine machines being smart and making decisions based on context, but it's really hard to implement that and way harder than anybody realized. And I think that's why, you know, the semantic web or web 3.0 really is, it's not looking like, like we thought it would. It's not where we thought it would be. Another great, really, really great post that I would recommend if anybody has any interest in this at all. Uh, it's a, an author who goes by OB10, uh, and it's on a blog called 2-Bit History, um, but it really talks about this kind of broken promise of the semantic web. And, and um, y if you research this, you'll find all kinds of technical language out there. Um, but this, this one sort of puts it into layman's terms and, and helps sort of make meaning of it rather than, you know, swimming in a, a lot of technical jargon. Yeah. Um, but I, I think part of it too is like a decentralization. Um, and this part is sort of happening. I, I, do you know anything about blockchain or what that, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, <laughs> I probably know as much as you do, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't still don't quite know what it is <laughs> yeah I, I again i'll try to capture the gist um and this will be the english major in me trying to explain <laughs> something that is really highly technical but like the the overall gist is it, it's trying to decentralize information so like instead of um instead of like paypal having all of your information right your name and your bank account information and all that and having my information and we need to go through PayPal to have a transaction. We each have our own set of information and the technology like allows us to sort of handshake with each other directly rather than go through a, a more of a central system. Like that's another sort of one of the big um, characteristics of, of Web 3.0. Um, and that one, that side of it seems to be developing a little more um, rapidly than the semantic web part. Um, and, you know, maybe this has no relevance, but there, there has been a lot in the news over the past five years or so, you know, the, the big tech companies have, have, um, had a little egg on their face about just sort of what they do with information, uh, all of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, some of the entrepreneurs and solopreneurs are and creative types are, I think, seeing a, a Web 3.0 as a place where 
they get to control their information more and they get to control, um, you know, like how they're paid for time and, and stuff like that. Um, so that's why it might be a little relevant to people who are sort of trying to carve out space. Yeah, on, I'm for the sure. There, there are a lot of uh, my author friends are paying real close attention to nifties or NFTs, depending on how you pronounce it. But this idea that you can create a one-off digital item, uh, you know, that, that kind of changes the game in many ways. I know a lot of musicians are looking at, at, at that, um, you know, celebrities, uh, but this idea that, you know, you, you can't replicate that. And, and I think that was always the problem when we went to, uh, when we, when we entered a digital, a digital era, then it became a, a matter of a few clicks to just duplicate anything you wanted. Mm -hmm. So now it's almost coming full circle back to, well, it's still a digital property, but it's not, it's, it, and it has value, value that can be tracked. So it's, yeah, there are a lot of conversations going on about this. There are, there are people who feel like it's going to end the world and there are other people who feel like it's going to transform it. And uh, I basically just want to be plugged into the matrix in 1989 and not have to worry about any of this stuff. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, I would certainly sign up for it, but yeah, it, I don't know. Like it, it's a great question. I, I think it's something we're going to be talking about for a number of years. And I think it has some, I, I think it has some direct relevance to people right now who are still teaching or, you know, still at the day job, but are looking 10 years out. I mean, I think blockchain and crypto and AI in 10 years time, it's going to look radically different. I mean, it, it could potentially be as different as it was when we got internet, when we got web 1.0. Yeah. Well, let me, I'm going to read this blurb to you and, and I want to get your reaction to it. So this is, this comes from that blog post I, I talked about, um, that, uh, OB 10, um, uh, two bit history blog. Um, and, uh, so in this blog post, it goes through all this stuff about like why the semantic web isn't coming to be. And then it ends with like a sort of like a man though. I wish it, I wish it was coming to pass because here's the kind of thing that would happen. And so I'll just read this to you. So, uh, he wrote, uh, actually, I don't know if it's a, he, I shouldn't say that. Um, this, the author wrote, imagine a web where rather than, uh, filling out the same tedious form, every time you register for a service, you were somehow able to authorize services to get that information from your own website. Imagine a Facebook that keeps your list of friends hosted on your own website up to date rather than vice versa. I was just intrigued by that because it was kind of like a sort of a last like hurrah, like, man, we should, why are we giving up on these ideas uh, for a, a new kind of web? And mm -hmm. I was just kind of intrigued by that. I, I think, I think in part, like the filling out of forms, like it's such a rudimentary thing, but like my, you know, with my, my children, like um, applying to colleges and stuff like that. And like, you know, there's just all the stuff that you fill out again and again and again. And I don't know. I, I know yeah. some of it's like with the common app and stuff, it's come a long way, but it just still feels like, like, why am I, why do I fill out the same personal information again and again and again? I just refinanced and I can't tell you how much redundancy oh. is in that process. It is just brutal. And yeah. I mean, I, I was sitting there with my wife and I was getting irritated because I'm like, it's just signing one document after another, after another. And I'm like, this is the most ridiculous thing to be doing in 2021. Yeah. I, I, it, it's almost as bad as like when someone sends me a PDF 
and ask me to print it out and fill it out and then take a picture and send <laughs> yep. it back to him. Uh, yes. We still do way too much of that here at, at our school. Yeah, I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna point fingers I but, know, uh, some I know. of that comes from you guys. Yes. <laughs> uh yeah, I, I know that. And it's kind of like, yep, that's on the to do list and but you know, part of it is we're just we're too small to get a huge benefit out of it as a as an organization. So it's like not yet like your the distributed pain that's out there uh, for everybody. It we it doesn't sting us enough as an yeah. organization to have the will to change it. Right. You're like, so what if parents have to take a picture and send it? Yeah, you know, they'll do it. <laughs> that's that's your problem, and it's yeah. not gonna it's not gonna bother you enough that you're gonna complain. So. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. Um, well, if I see complaints come through, I'm, I'll know. You'll they, know. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, I mean, that's kind of all, all I had. Like, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds over the next few years. Um, but I, I think it's especially, you know, as we think about, like, creating our own space and our own audiences and stuff and, you know, whether those are, are – um, audio audiences like like this one or or uh, written audiences um you know it's uh these are things we have to to be aware of we have, we have to know sort of where things are headed and understand what the meaning behind it i think um to know how to capitalize on it thanks for listening go to teachingtransformations.com and get instant access to transformations the free weekly email with the best personally curated resources to help those in their late 40s or 50s to design a post-career life.